Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. You may be seated. Good to see you this morning. There are, as Holly mentioned during announcements, we, there are a number of people in our church just under the weather. Our staff this week was kind of under the weather, and um, everyone seems to be getting better. And uh, Pastor Doug um, isn't able to be here this morning. He texted me uh, yesterday morning saying, hey, it might be better that you fill in. So, you know, with 24 hours notice, here I am. Now, I was kind of thinking about the message today and just thinking, okay, I got to be prepared in season and out. And well, we're in season today. So, but Pastor Doug, he, he gives his greetings. He, he, he's looking forward to being back um, next Sunday. If you have your Bibles, would you open them to the book of Habakkuk, the Old Testament book of Habakkuk? When I was on sabbatical <clears throat> with my family this past September, the Lord led Mary and I to go through the, the, this book together. We did a Bible study uh, through it, and it was a timely, timely book for what we were going through. And this book now has, it just has a special place in my heart as the Lord has uh, just spoken. You know, if you get those passages of scripture that are just near and dear to your heart, the Lord just maybe ministered to you on, in a rough season. You're like, Lord, thank you for giving me that truth to hold on to. This is like the whole book of Habakkuk for me. It's like, Lord, thank you. When I needed to hear you the most, you spoke through this book. Now, Habakkuk is one of 12 minor prophets that we have in the Old Testament. I, see, I hear a lot of pages still turning, so I'm, I'm going to give you some intro while you're still finding it. If you hit Matthew in the New Testament, just go back a couple pages or a couple books. In the Old Testament, though, there are major prophets and then there's minor prophets. And Habakkuk, being a minor prophet, doesn't, it doesn't take away anything from its message it doesn't mean that minor prophets are, are less important than major prophets. It's just that they generally write a little shorter and Habakkuk falls into that category with only three chapters. And today we're gonna just do a, an overview of the book. So we're gonna do a whole book in one day, but we don't know too much about Habakkuk. He doesn't come up in any other book in scripture, his name that is. We don't know how old he is. We don't know anything about his upbringing. But the best guess as to when he prophesied was somewhere around 600 BC. And that's because in the, in the first chapter, there's mention of the rise of the Babylonian empire. And so it's somewhere probably in, in Judah, King Josiah's probably, he was a good king. He probably has passed away. Maybe king, I think it's King Jehoiakim next, a bad king on the scene. And they're getting ready to, you know, go down. But anyways, I don't want to spoil that. We're going to get there later. But somewhere around 600 BC. So I'm going to read here out of chapter one, just the first four verses. And then again, Lord willing, we'll, we'll unpack um, the whole book. Verse one of chapter one, the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you, violence. By the way, that word for violence in Hebrew means Hamas. You guys know that? So that the terrorist organization, Hamas, literally means violence. Just, that's, that's extra, sorry. I, I found that very fascinating. I cry to you, violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? 
Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. Now, Habakkuk is unique among all the prophets in the entire Bible, and that is, um, the reason is, is his book does not challenge a nation or a people group. He's Jewish, but God did not commission him, or at least not for this writing, to address the Jewish people or any other nation. Now, this book is also unique because it's entirely a dialogue. It's a dialogue between Habakkuk and the Lord. And God answers uh, Habakkuk in this dialogue. And so I kind of liken this to, if, you, if you're like me, I love going to coffee shops. I shared this with Liam a couple, maybe last week. I love going to coffee shops, pretending I'm minding my own business, but like eavesdropping on other people. Like I just, it's guilty pleasure of mine. I'm just sipping my coffee. I'm like, what are they talking about? Wow, that's, that's kind of crazy. That's kind of how I picture this book. We're kind of in a coffee shop setting and Habakkuk and the Lord are having this conversation and we get to eavesdrop in. And we're gonna see Habakkuk raise some questions that he has. He, he is perplexed by things that he sees in his world. He's, he's filled with confusion on what is going on. And he has some questions for God about God, particularly how it relates, how he relates to evil and injustice in the world. Habakkuk wanted to know, why God would you allow evil to exist? He wondered um, that if God is truly sovereign, then why would he allow wicked people to prosper? You ever ask that question? That's what this book is all about. And I'm so glad that it's included in scripture. I'm so glad because it gives us kind of a, a sneak peek, some insight into the prophet's life, that they too had questions and confusion in their lives. To me, this book humanizes, especially the prophet Habakkuk. Because sometimes I, I think when I'm, when I'm reading through the Old Testament, I'm like, oh, these prophets, you know, these great men of God, and I put them on a pedestal, right? They've never had a bad day. They've never questioned, right? They walk in godliness. They have this great insight into godly things, spiritual things. But the reality is these men were just like you and I. They were human. And so to me, it's comforting because some of the same questions that Habakkuk wrestled with, with, and we're gonna see him wrestling with concerning life, concerning the world, concerning God's apparent lack and involvement, those are some of the same questions that I know I wrestle with, and I'm sure you wrestle with as well. And let's be real this morning before we, before we dive more in. How many of us go through difficult things and we're left stuck just wondering, God, where the heck are you? You guys ever ask, ask that in your life? God, where are you? Can't you see what is going on in my life? Don't you care that I'm struggling? God, why aren't you intervening in this area in my life? There's been so many times, and I'm gonna share them a little bit later, about where I felt like Habakkuk here. Lord, how long, as we just read, how long are you going to wait? How long are you gonna take until you act, until you intervene? 
But one of the things for me that I've had to come back to time and time again in scripture to be reminded of that, that truth that we find in Isaiah 55. Isaiah there speaks in the first person for the Lord where he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are my, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That verse has to be highlighted here in the book of Habakkuk. Because God is infinitely superior and wiser and he's truly sovereign, there are going to be things in life that are perplexing to us but they're not to God. There are going to be things that confuse us in life, but they do not confuse the Lord. There are going to be things that do not make sense. Have you ever been there? But they make perfect sense to the Lord, amen? And all throughout this short little book, we can see Habakkuk's struggle as he tries to understand the ways and wisdom of God. Now, this book reminds me of watching someone go through the grieving process. Maybe you've been there, maybe you're there today, maybe you've seen someone with, you know, like the five stages of grief. And, and I, to me, reading through the, the entirety of the book of Habakkuk is watching Habakkuk go through these steps, not necessarily the five steps of grief, but just different phases, different steps. He starts out in the beginning of the book being perplexed. But by the time he ends the book, we see him praising God, worshiping God. And here, though, in chapter one, Habakkuk is found in his perplexity. He's questioning God. Why God? How God, how long, oh Lord? And it's typical, and this is the typical way that most of us react when God's ways don't make sense to us, when our circumstances don't seem to fit the view of how we think God should respond. God, why? Why did you allow this? Why don't you fix this? And so we ask all these similar questions. And the first question that Habakkuk has for God had to do with what he observed happening among his own people. He kind of surveys the land. That's verses one through four. Surveys his own culture and the people of his day. And he realizes, hey, these people were into injustice. They're, e they're into evil. They're, there's idolatry happening. And God seems to be doing nothing about it. Did you see Habakkuk's complaint list? The, verses one through four. There's wickedness. There's destruction and violence. Strife exists and contentions arise. The law is ignored. Justice is never upheld. The wicked surround the righteous. This is just like a, a list that he's going on. And I was thinking about it. I'm like, is he describing Portland? <laughs> like, like, seriously. <laughs> we can all relate to the cultural aspect that Habakkuk is going through. So his first question in these first four verses is basically, how is it possible that so much evil and injustice are happening in Judah and God, you don't seem to do anything about it? It's a good question. It's a good question. But then God responds to him. Look at verse five and says, Habakkuk, I am doing something. I know, I know exactly what I'm doing. This is the Lord's answer. Look among the nations. Observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days. You would not believe if you were told. I love that verse. 
When we think God is absent, when we think God doesn't care or isn't working, we know that he is. He is. For behold, verse 6, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Now, some of your translations might say Babylonians. Same people. Chaldeans, Babylonians, same people. That fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. This is God's description of the Babylonians. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces move forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers are laughing or a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on but they will be held guilty, they whose strength is their God. Here's what God is saying. He's saying, I'm gonna raise up. I am doing something. I'm gonna raise up the Babylonians. And then he just starts to describe them. They're ruthless, they're harsh, they're bitter. They're a nation that just invades foreign lands. They completely destroy everything that they touch. They confiscate the plunder. They, They take people captive. And God's describing the Babylonians like this. And then he says at the end of verse 11 there, on top of it all, he says that the Babylonians think that their power is in their God. In other words, because they're a pagan people, they think that their God is gonna give them success and victory over Israel and Judah. But we know the reality is that the only reason that they might have any success is because God is giving it to them. God is using them. God is using the Babylonians to bring correction on a people that he loves. The Jewish people, they're in utter rebellion against God. They're sinning, they're rebelling. There's evil and injustice happening in themselves. And God says, I'm going to do something about it, Habakkuk. Don't worry. Here's what I'm doing. I'm raising up this people, this barbaric people to be an instrument of my discipline because I love you. And after they come, then you'll start to cry out for me. Now, this is God's response to Habakkuk. Habakkuk is probably just having a bad day. (laughs) Lord, why aren't you doing anything about this? Why are you allowing this to go on without any correction? God says, oh, I'm going to correct it. And this is how I'm going to correct it. Let me tell you, I don't think this helped (laughs) Habakkuk at all. I don't think this helped him. Let me ask you, would it help you? (laughs) God, why are you doing something? That's what you're going to do? There ever been times in your life, my life, when we're pleading with God, we're begging God, God, would you just respond? Would you answer my prayer? Would you just come to my aid here? Would you just, yeah, respond? And then when he responds, it is 100% in the opposite direction of what you were thinking and wanting and hoping that he would do. You ever been there? Again, that Isaiah 55 passage comes in. Now Habakkuk goes on to raise question number two. Now he's like, whoa, 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 wait wait a minute. God, God, 
I just got through saying I'm bothered, I'm tormented, right? All this injustice and evil in the world among my people. But you mean to tell me, here's the second question. You mean to tell me, wait, why? Why in the world would you use wicked people like the Babylonians to correct a people more righteous than they? That's what Habakkuk says to God. Habakkuk knew his own people, the Jews, they were living in idolatry and justice and evil, but he also knew that the Babylonians were a pagan people. He says, God, at least we worship you. We might not be in a great place right now, you know, kind of collectively speaking, but at least we worship you. The Babylonians, they don't worship you. They worship a false God. So why would you use them? Look at verse 12. This is Habakkuk. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Look, notice this. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? That's the Babylonians. Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? That's the Jews. So this is his question to God. God, why would you do this? Where's the logic? Where's the reason? Like, where, you gotta share with me, why are you allowing this? Now again, Habakkuk is in the questioning stage. And for each of us this morning, we go through this and we're gonna end up at some point in a time in our lives where God doesn't make sense to us and we're troubled by things. But before we move on, I want to say something very, very important here. Asking God a bunch of questions is not an affront to him. Did you hear that? It is not wrong to ask God questions. Listen, God is a big God. He can take our questions. He can, and I'm so grateful for that. We see throughout the Bible time and time again, many people who do not understand the ways and wisdom of God. I think of Moses, for example. When, when God calls Moses out of the desert of Midian, oops, microphone came off. God calls Moses, right? Moses, I wanna send you to Pharaoh. And Moses kind of signs up reluctantly, a lot of excuses. There's the burning bush experience where he's like, Lord, you know, I'm not eloquent with words and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a great people person and all of that. Um, and God's like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna send with you Aaron and, and, and he's gonna be a great help and benefit for you. And so he reluctantly goes. And so he goes down to, to Pharaoh and he, and, he, and, he, and he waltzes into Pharaoh's, um, and, and, he, and he says like, hey, I'm here on behalf of God. And God says to you, Pharaoh, let my people go, right? 400 years of captivity, um, <laughs> let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, what are you talking about? And I'm very much shortening this story. What are you talking about? Like, who the heck do you think you are, like Moses? Like, you come in here and you, and you, no. The answer is no. No way. I'm not giving up free labor. And so what happens, though, is that, you think that's bad enough. What happens is that Pharaoh says, because you came in here and even asked, for the release of my servants, or my slaves, I'm going to make it even harder for the, for the Hebrew people. 
And I'm going to, what I'm going to do is they're, they're building these mud bricks and I'm going to take away the straw and they're going to have to figure out a way to build these bricks and keep up the same quota every single day without this substance that would be like glue. And can you imagine the Hebrew people, man, they are not happy. I can imagine them going up to Moses. Moses, what the heck were you thinking? Like, geez, man, thanks a lot. You, you just thought you would do us a favor, but here you are, you're making our lives worse. Go home. We don't want you here. So Moses goes back to God in Exodus chapter five and he says, then Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. Moses says, God, I don't know why you sent me. It's gotten worse for them. They're still in uh, captivity. He hasn't delivered, we haven't delivered the people yet. So, so Moses, he questions God. God doesn't kill him for it. God welcomes it. We see the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 12, 1. He says, righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you, yet let me talk with you about your judgments. I got some questions. I've got some confusion of what you're not doing or, or doing. And he says, why does the, the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those um, happy who deal treacherously? God, I don't, I don't understand your form of justice here. We read through the Psalms. God is continually questioned in the Psalms. Psalm 10.1, why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 42.9, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Psalm 44.24, why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? Again, on and on and on, there are plenty of examples in the Bible when people question God because they didn't understand what was happening and God didn't make sense to them. And so again, this morning, it is okay to bring your questions to the Lord. He's a big God, he can handle our questions. But with that said, he is not obligated to answer or at least not when or how we want him to. And sometimes his silence is because he knows that we don't have the capacity to comprehend the deep things that he's up to. And to be honest, and I've had to learn this, sometimes his silence is his mercy. It's his mercy in our lives. Listen, if we understood everything that he was doing, it would most likely overwhelm us. It would stress us out. But because I believe his mercy, he remains silent so that he doesn't burden us with more information that we can handle. And the reality is when Habakkuk raises the second question to God, God did not directly answer him. Not in the story here. But in chapter two, verse one, I love this. Look at this. I will stand, this is Habakkuk, on my guard post and station myself on the rampart or the tower and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me. While Habakkuk offers that second complaint or question to the Lord, we're told that he takes his position at the guard post and he waits on the Lord. He waits for the Lord. He is still 
before the Lord. He was watching, yes, and he was waiting with expectation for how God would respond, what God would do. Would God remain faithful to his people? Would God keep his covenant? Would justice be truly served? Would evil be conquered? He waited before the Lord. And that might might be a word for you this morning. Maybe you're going crazy with why, 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 why this? God, why that? God, how come this? How come that? Lord, how long for this? How long for that? And maybe the call this morning, the word for you this morning is to transition from a place of asking the why to just simply waiting in silence before the Lord with expectation. God, again, he never specifically answered the why question for Habakkuk. But in chapter two, we're gonna see that God tells Habakkuk how to live when life doesn't make sense how to live when we don't have those answers. Look at verse two through four. Then the Lord answered me and said, record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come, it will not delay. Behold, verse four, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but... The righteous will live by his faith. Maybe your translation says, the just shall live by faith. Now that last sentence there in verse four is quoted three times in the New Testament. Again, Habakkuk himself is not mentioned in anywhere in the Bible, but this verse is quoted three times in the New Testament. You have Romans 1, Galatians 3, and Hebrews 10. And every time it is quoted in the New Testament, it's in relation to salvation. That you exercise faith and you trust Jesus as your, as your Savior, thus the just shall live by faith, right? But in, the, in its original context here in Habakkuk, it was not about salvation per se. It is a correct New Testament application for the verse. But here in Habakkuk, it was about how to live during times that are difficult. When we don't understand what God is doing, that the righteous will live by his faith or the just will live by faith. Listen. The faith we exercise in trusting Jesus as our savior is the same faith we need to exercise in trusting him every single day of our lives. Faith isn't just something that we exercise in relation to salvation on day one. We commit our life to to the Lord. and We say, Jesus, come into my heart and all of that thing and say, okay, I exercise my faith and now I'm done trusting God. No, no, no. You trust God. Yes, we trust God fully by faith for our salvation. We believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, but faith is trust. And that kind of trust has to be exercised every single day of our lives. When we look at the world around us, when we look at our lives and the brokenness that we, that we feel and that we have and things just don't make sense and we start asking God those questions again, why God, why God, why God, why God, why God? We have to start to realize that the just, that the righteous, that the believer, that you and I in Christ will live by faith. That's why it's a, it's a faith journey. It's why Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5 that we walk by faith and not by sight. And so God is saying here, Habakkuk, I want you to start to trust me. 
I need you to stop looking around at all, everything around you that's going wrong and you have a lot of confusion and questions. I need you to start looking to me and to start trusting me. And this part of trusting is when we can get to the place of realizing that just because we can't fix something or change something or necessarily even understand something, that we learn to just press into the Lord all the more so that we can trust him completely. Faith is trust. Psalm 91, it says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Psalm 56.3, David would say, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Listen, I'm sure you've, you've figured this out. You guys are probably a lot wiser and smarter than me, but some things in our lives just won't have a simple explanation to them. <laughs> it, but it's okay to say, I don't like this, I don't understand this, but Lord, I trust you in this. I believe you're on the throne, that you are sovereign, you're in control of every area of my life. I believe that you fully and wonderfully care for me. And this is where Habakkuk eventually gets to. If you look at the, how chapter two ends, look at verse 20. He says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. You see, Habakkuk has moved from questioning God to trusting God. And he's at this place where he says, but I know that God, he is seated on the throne. He's in charge, he's in control. And I just need to keep silent before him. Now, <clears throat> I want you to check this out. In Psalm chapter five, verse 11, David makes this interesting uh, correlation and connection between trusting God and rejoicing in him. I'm gonna read Psalm 511. It says, but let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend him. Now, what I find interesting about this chapter of Psalm 5 and, and this verse in particular is that when David wrote these words, life wasn't going particularly well for him. He had just lost the kingdom. One of his sons is dead. His daughter's been violated. His other son is currently hunting him down to rip apart the kingdom. But he says, let all those rejoice hmm, who put their trust in you. Listen, when we place our trust in the Lord, it doesn't matter what our circumstances may be because there comes a peace and a joy that we can possess despite our circumstance, amen? And that's what we see here in the life of Habakkuk. He goes from questioning God to trusting God and now we see in, in, in chapter three, praising God. How is this possible? Trust is that hinge. Now, again, he's not going to be rejoicing in the circumstance, like for the circumstance, but he's rejoicing in the Lord, the God who is in control of his circumstance. Look at with me, chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3 is a, is a song. It's a prayer that's put to music. We know that from verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigianoth. Lord, I have heard the report about you, and I fear. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. That's a great prayer. 
In wrath, remember mercy. God comes from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of his praise. So as Habakkuk is going on, he's worshiping the Lord throughout chapter three. One of the things that we see as you go on to read that he does in this chapter is that he recalls the past faithfulness of God. And he's basically saying that because God has been faithful in the past, in years past, I know that he will be faithful in the present and I know that he will be faithful in the future. And the same is true for you and I. And he ends this book with some amazing words that show us that he has truly gone from perplexity to praise. He's in a much better place. Look at verse 17 of chapter three. Many of you might know these familiar words. It says, though the fig tree should not blossom and there be, and there be no fruit on the vines, Though the yield of the olives should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord and I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. <clears throat> Here, Habakkuk, he's describing the condition of Judah at this particular time. Maybe there's a drought. Maybe the Babylonians have already started to, to ravage the land. But he's saying the fig trees that we look at and see, they're not blossoming. There's no fruit on the vine. The olive crops, they, they fail. The fields aren't producing any field. There's no cattle in the stalls. In other words, he's saying when life is looking bleak and is barren, when I've lost my job, when my spouse is sick and not getting better, when my kids are backsliding and want nothing to do with Jesus. Habakkuk is thinking of the worst possible scenario that he could think of. But then he says, yet I will praise the Lord and I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk is found here rejoicing and praising God despite his circumstances. He comes to the place of realizing that even if his worst fears came true, that he would still have the Lord. And listen, for you and I, the people of God, that truth is the same for us. For those of you this morning, maybe you're in the, walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Maybe you're going through a difficult, horrible, never-ending trial or pain. I completely understand that these words of just simply rejoicing in the Lord could sound trite and very not helpful for you. But, I, but I'm praying this morning, I was praying last night as I was going over this, that Habakkuk can be a reminder for each of us this morning that it will be okay. Because even when things look bad or, or they you're like, man, things can't possibly get worse. We know this, the Lord is constant and sure. We have a place and a person to run to on our darkest day. Are you grateful for that this morning? I wanna share with you just a briefly, from, from Mary and I, it's my wife, throughout our lives, there have been many times and seasons where we felt like Habakkuk. And this book has been key to, to helping us navigate those dark days when hope was lost, we couldn't see any good in our situation. 
And even recently for our family, and you guys, some of you know our story, we've gone through an extremely difficult time. The, 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 our little girl that we were fostering for almost two years, we call her Birdie. We, we picked her up from the hospital when she was seven days old. Um, she was our, our family's prayer come true in so many ways. We prayed for a baby for over three years and even tried fertility treatments to see if that was the answer we were praying for. And when the day came and we got a phone call about Birdie, the night before Mary and I were discussing, you know, how we just felt like this specific journey that we were on with fertility treatments, it was, it was just too hard emotionally on us, the, uh, just the ups and downs. And we're just like, we've, we've got to be done with that, especially in this season. And that night we prayed, and I remember this vividly, God, we surrender our desire for a baby to, to you. Like however you want to bring us a baby, we submit to your, to your will. And it was actually that week that we found that Mary wasn't pregnant. The fertility treatments didn't work. But it was the next day that we got a phone call about Birdie. We had so many hopes, you know, of adoption. We were thinking we would, we would bring home a baby, Lord willing, in nine months. We brought home a baby in less than like nine days. Like it was just crazy. We're like, Lord, you've answered our prayer. And we had many hopes of adopting her and, to, and just to keep our story, and, and a lot of you know it, very, very short. It's a very long story. It didn't work out for us to adopt her. We fostered her for two years. And, and on September 4th of this past year, she moved out of her house um, into her biological mother's house. And we were absolutely devastated. I think heartbroken would be complete un understatement for what we felt. Like I've never experienced heartbreak like that. Like a, a chunk of my life was missing. Things were out of our control. We didn't know what God was doing. So many of the days and the hours, they, we felt like Habakkuk, God, where are you? Can't you see what we're going through? If you do see, don't you care? Why would you allow this to happen? That was my thing, like God, why would you allow this to happen? Why would you give us Birdie just to take her away? And listen, I wish I could tell you this morning that during these past four months, like the longest four months of my life, the Lord has given us answers to those questions, but he hasn't. We've had to learn that once again, the life that we live is to be lived by faith and trust. That Isaiah 55 thing, <laughs> insert here. His ways aren't our, our ways. They're, they're better, though we can see it or not. But we live this life by faith, trusting God, even on our hardest days. But all I can say is that God is still working. All I can say is that he has been faithful and so loving to us in this past season. He's given us small, very small glimpses as to how he's working and using all of this for his glory. That was always the question, Lord, how are you using this for your glory and our good? How? I do not understand. But he's been good and sweet to us to give us these small glimpses. This is just a part of our story. And our, our story with Birdie is not over. Ask me later kind of where we're at with it. But no matter, listen, no matter what is ahead of us, we can be confident that he is with us. He will never leave us. He will be our strength when we're weak. 
Listen, he will be our song when the words cannot form because of the tears. When our feet just feel like they're crumbling, like we cannot walk five feet ahead of us, we know that he will be our sure foundation. In closing, I just want to say this. Whatever suffering that we face, we can look to Jesus who has suffered in our place. We can remember the goodness of the gospel and the amazing reality that he has overcome the greatest enemy of all. And we can become like him in suffering, be molded into his image in our sorrows. And right there in the middle of our suffering and struggle and the burdens that weigh on our hearts, we too can rejoice. Now, we don't rejoice necessarily in our circumstances. We don't rejoice because of our success or our achievements. We don't rejoice because trouble never came. Listen to this. We rejoice because when fire came, he was with us every step of the way. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Is that when the fiery furnace came, he was there. We rejoice because who he is. We can rejoice because he is faithful. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. And I pray this morning, God, that you would strengthen our faith in you. You would strengthen our trust in you this morning. And I pray, Lord, just for my brothers and sisters, those watching online, those here in person, Lord, that you would just minister to them. You know exactly where they're at. You know the ups and the downs. You know the valleys that maybe some are in even this morning. Pray, God, that you would be the lifter of their head. Lord, that somehow they would be able to trust you more today than they did yesterday. That they would be reminded today of your faithfulness to them over the years. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness in our lives. We worship you.